Hi, I'm Allison Markstadt, and you're listening to the Wealth Cap Speaks podcast. Today, I'll be joined by Patrick Mayer, the COO of Novus Intelligence. We'll be discussing how to take back control of your digital footprint. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you back. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So today we'll be discussing digital footprint. And for our listeners, if you could just take a minute and explain what a digital footprint is. Yes. So a digital footprint for an individual consists of many things that you might not be aware of. To give the simplest definition of it, your digital footprint consists of everything that you're doing online, whether it's posting on social media, buying something through Amazon or another website, anything that you are going to research when you're going to different websites and they're collecting your cookies. Those types of things are always being collected in the internet of things and being sold or being used by different providers so that they can get to know who their customer is, your address, your phone number, your emails, uh, your relatives, those types of things that you might not want the people in the general public to know. There are ways that you can reduce it and limit that digital footprint of yours, but it's a lot easier said than done because of the amount that we're on the internet and connected to so many different things that we might not be aware of. So the types of digital footprints that you just explained, the Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, those are all examples of active. And then there's passive. What exactly is passive? So when you have that active, right, it's it's not just Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's also when you're filling out online forms, signing up for things to receive emails or texts from a different service provider. A passive is more of those types of things that you don't know what's really being left behind. So if you're using an app on your phone or a website that uses geolocation or different social media news channels and advertisers that are looking at your likes and shares through social media. Those are more passive. The active side is more of a direct action by yourself that is showing what you're thinking, what you're doing, and there's a deliberate attempt to actually post something for the public to see. The passive idea of a digital footprint are more on the back end, the little things that a company will then see to then provide statistics to their teams and then to get the information they need so that they can target an audience that you fit in. So websites that install cookies without disclosing it to you, that happens a lot. And a lot of websites, let's say you go to a website, you might have seen, please accept our cookies, or you have a choice on whether or not to accept or or decline. Those are the things that would be considered passive. And the amount of information that those websites or apps that they take, it's more than you think. So now I think it's become more frequent that you have to accept or allow the cookies, right, that are tracking your movements on websites. Right. It's more along the lines of a website having to have something, whether it's in their privacy rules and their terms and conditions on their website of what a user needs to abide by by visiting their website. You know, a lot of websites do now offer that option or say you have to accept these cookies because that's what our terms 
and conditions are. The websites that do offer those options, and at least you know that your information is being collected, are good. The ones that don't, you know, you don't know what's really going on there. It's hard to say if a website's using your information for, let's say, selling it to a third party so that they can make their money in, in certain ways. Those third parties and the website that you're going to have to disclose that they're doing that. And whether or not you read the terms or conditions or their privacy settings on their website, mm-hmm. there's a majority of them that you have no idea that they're actually collecting those cookies when you go to their website. So taking all of that into account, what steps can you actually take to reduce your digital footprint? There's a number of steps. I would say that VPN is probably the biggest thing that you can use to mask where you're searching from. Really mask yourself from them collecting your IP address, your geolocation, seeing anything that might come from when you're going to that website. Another thing is really reducing the amount that you're using a business email to buy something on a website or personal email that might not have a good password or doesn't have encryption, you don't have two-factor authentication on it. These VPNs, they can mask or change the location or the IP address when you're going to these websites. But you also need to make sure that while you're using a VPN, that you're not going to a website with trackers being able to track your movements on the internet. So when you're using Firefox or Google Chrome or any other browser, they have privacy settings that allow for you to make stricter rules and guidelines to reduce the amount that a company or an organization can find out about about you when you're surfing the web. Let's say you go to one website right off the bat and you start buying something. When you go from that website to another, there might be trackers that are seeing that you're going from one website to the other. If you're looking at the privacy settings, if you're looking at things on the back end on your physical device, you can limit the amount that your digital footprint's out there. Now, that's not the most successful way to do it because there are so many other ways that companies can gather your information. Let's say you are going online and you're filling out an online form to subscribe to a newsletter for any type of website. And you then see that your information is on websites like Been Verified, Cluster Maps, Nuber, these different data aggregating websites that find these lists that are being distributed to companies and organizations that have now all of your personal information. Let's say they have an address that comes from that information. That could connect to your relatives because your relatives have some sort of affiliation to that address or a phone number might be affiliated to other individuals within your family. So it's important to look at a phased approach of when you're starting to really get out there on the internet after you've reduced it as best you can to also be conscious of where you're going on the internet and what information you're putting out there on any any different type of website because you do not know where that information is going after you've submitted a purchase or an online form or your email signing up for a newsletter. So for those listeners who would be interested in purchasing a virtual private network or VPN, how would they go about choosing such? They change year after year where there are ways to just search on Google, what are the best VPN? Mm -hmm. And there are some good websites that give you a good review on each one. Some of them say ExpressVPN. Some of them say NordVPN. Norton has a VPN. I actually use a few different ones and I actually have AT&T's VPN through my cell phone service provider. So these services are now being installed through the things that you've probably purchased in the past. Let's say you have 
Verizon internet, Cox internet, AT&T or Verizon cell phone service. Always look to those service providers that you already have to see if they have an ability to reduce the amount of your digital footprint or the amount that people can see your activity in any way, um, whether you're not just on your Wi-Fi at home, but also when you're out and about on your cell phone, you're still getting pinged when you're doing things through apps and, and searching the web on your cell phone. So there are ways to identify what the best one is. It's really about your need. And they're not expensive if you need a third-party solution like a NordVPN or an ExpressVPN. And we can provide a link or details on the different ones. But for a year subscription, you can get them for $50 to $100. Or you can pay monthly and get five devices on that one subscription. It really protects that extra layer of security for your information, but there are a lot of ways that you can go about it. So in addition to potentially purchasing a VPN and putting your devices on it, there are also some additional steps that people could take today, kind of entering some of their personal information into search engines. Could you explain that a little bit better? Right. To give you an example right off the bat, I'm sure that everyone heard about the judge's son who was fatally shot back in 2020. The individual that found her home said he just had to Google it. He just had to go online and he could find all their information. I would suggest everyone, you know, wanting to see what's out there, put in their full name, put in their full home address, their phone numbers, their emails, see what's out there and see if there's a way to remove it from those websites. A lot of those websites have the option to remove that personal information from their site, but they need approval or they need a verification that you're actually the individual that's requesting for your personal information to be removed. It's not going to show social security numbers. It's not going to show credit card numbers. It's going to show the things that tie to you that yes, people that are looking to market or put you in an audience so that they can target you when you're searching on the web and ads and whatnot. It's beneficial to them, but it's also beneficial to malicious hackers, malicious individuals that want to commit acts of violence against you. You need to make sure that if you see your home address or your phone number or anything that can get somebody to your home or find you on the web through your email or, or and whatnot, you need to try and remove that. There are services that can do it. I can give you an example for us where we actually went to every website for a corporation of 30 executives that they wanted us to find and remove from Google searches or Bing and whatnot. We had to do everything by hand and really find out what's out there and then remove it ourselves with the permission of the individuals that we we're doing it for. There are services that can do it automatically that are a lot cheaper and maybe not as efficient because they'll do it once and that information could come back again. So we're always monitoring this client of ours the ex with these executives so that their personal information isn't out there. You have no idea what somebody's thinking when they're looking for this information. They can use it as leverage. They can do anything that they need to do to fulfill what their motives are. And having that digital footprint reduced or removed is a great start. I'm not saying that you're going to have to go through all the steps to really make sure that it doesn't repopulate because you might not be a target or you might not think of yourself as somebody that needs that extra layer. But then when that thing does happen, you know, those are the ways that people do research. And, you know, coming from a team at Novus that uses open source research to find out things about people that are investing in an individual or find out things about a person's potential criminal history as a background check, those things will all pop up because they're all 
just through Google searches. If you know where to look, they will find it. So there's ways to do it. There's ways to have a third party help you with doing it. And it's very easy to remove if you have the guidelines to do it. So when you say that individuals can do a search of their personal information on these search engines, you mean as simple as going into Google and typing in your first and last name and entering your personal address and seeing what comes up? Correct. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I realized that Patrick Mayer spelled the way my last name is. There are dozens of them and there's actually a famous individual named Patrick Mayer. So it helps when you have a name that's relatively common. But at the same time, if I don't search my name and instead I search my home address, I would see that it pops up and there are links that show that I was the one that was living at it or I recently bought this home. If I put my phone number, it would would pop up as being registered to me. I went through the process of taking that stuff down and I usually look to see if anything's repopulated every month or so, but it's definitely been down for about six to 12 months where we have to always be aware of that and make sure that also other individuals aren't acting with your personal information. So sometimes I put in my cell phone number and another individual pops up as it being registered under them. Now, that could be a mistake that has no malicious intent. It could be somebody that accidentally filled out a form one day and put my number in, changed you know one of the numbers at the end of it, and it populated. But it is concerning, and you're wondering why this person has my phone number underneath their profile on one of these data-aggregated websites. Now, we have databases that we use to check these things as well. So if I go on a database and I type in my number, that's a paid service service, it'll be registered to me and this individual won't be linked to it. But on open source, you have no idea what people are doing with your information outside of Experian and TransUnion or those different types of back-end information providers that have the intimate information because somebody can use your home address for anything like registering a business without your knowledge or registering a phone number that connected to a business without your knowledge. I get those in the mail all the time for different companies that I have no idea what they are. And I go and I see that there's no company at that address or in that name. And you wonder what that is is and you always just have to be wary of you know these people that might be trying to scam you with some of these things or use your personal information under their name without your knowledge. If you see that your information is on one of these sites and you say you can have it removed and you can go in and they may ask you to verify that is actually your home address and that you have the authorization to request that they remove it, are companies obligated to do so if you reach out? Yes, there are some websites that are. Now, there are some other ones, let's say a voterrecords.com, where a state allows for public information to be posted online based on their state laws and regulations. You can go to that website and request that that information be removed. But they will sometimes come back and say, based on the Freedom of Information Act or, you know, whichever law is in place that allows them to post what your political affiliation is or your home address, they won't remove it unless you then want to go the extra step and then figure out ways to do it. Sometimes you need a lawyer to submit a letter that says we are requesting that you remove this information based on the invasion of privacy. It just varies state by state. But then you have these smaller 
organizations. They have crawlers across the web that are just trying to find any little bits of data and connect them to your name and your address or your relatives and phone number. They're the ones that are very easy to remove. You go to the website, you find where your information is. You can usually just scroll down to the bottom and say request for removal or whichever variation they might have, and then fill out the submission that you need to. And they usually get that done within three to five days, give or take. The thing that stays up, though, is the things on Google. So if you're searching after you've just removed and your link is still up on Google, you might click it and says, oops, this page has been removed. It still is showing on Google for a longer period of time because Google takes a long time for it to adjust its search settings. So it's off, yes, but Google does take the time. And we always advise customers that if you're going to do this, don't expect it to be a 10-day fix wait for about 30 days, wait for them to repopulate, wait for more information to come out on other individuals and such. So it knocks it down. And then that link finally gets removed. So what about setting up Google alerts, right? You can register so that then you're kind of pinged or made aware of if your name were to appear somewhere. Is that something that would be helpful and beneficial? Sure. Google Alerts definitely could be beneficial in this way. You would just have to set it up in a way where you have every little bit of information about yourself that you want to make sure isn't out there on open source. It should ping. Now, is it going to be always effective? That's something that it depends on the way that you're putting in your searches. From a researcher's perspective or an Intel analyst that's looking in open source intelligence on Google or Bing or whatnot, they need to have different methods to find the information. And Google keywords during these alerts is the same way. So if you have an email address, if you have a phone number, if you have a physical address, if you have your name putting it into to Google Alerts, you have to do things like put a parentheses around the full name because it might pick, let's say, a Roy Howard, for example. You know, it might pick up everything that says Roy and then everything that says Howard, but nothing's really attached. So make sure you're looking at the different ways to do it. There are classes that can be taught for how to find this information as well. We actually do that at Novus for different organizations, not just for the Intel side of things, but for the marketing side of things and prospecting and whatnot. They're the same thing. If you know how to find the information that's out there and you know how to type in the keywords or set up these alerts from the start, it'll be easy in the long run so that you're really reducing or even preventing your information from getting out there in the future. Well, this has been extremely helpful. I have obtained a lot more knowledge, as I'm sure our listeners have as well, about the impact of the digital footprint and how it's created and what we can do to mitigate what could potentially be the negative impact of it. So we really appreciate you taking the time to discuss it with us. No, it was great to be here again. And as I said in the last podcast, you know, we are here for help and advice. I mean, we want to make sure that you understand what you need to do. And so if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to anyone on our team where we can at least point you in the right direction. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you on again to discuss other important topics. Thanks for having me.